everyone dreams about living an uncommon life. But how we define that dream is very different for each of us. And for most, it's a lifelong pursuit. Welcome to the Uncommon Life Project Podcast. We're going to introduce you to people who are living that life or enjoying the journey to get there. We're going to also give you some tools, tricks, and tips for starting or accelerating your own efforts to live an uncommon life, a life worth celebrating and savoring. Please welcome your hosts, Brian Dewhurst and Philip Ramsey. Hello and welcome to the Uncommon Life Project. I'm your host, Philip Ramsey. And I'm Brian Dewhurst. Thanks for joining us. This is, as promised, as our last podcast kind of talked about, this is the seven sources of residual income as Brian and I see it. And this really has been kind of a cultivation of Brian and I's practice over the last four and a half, five years of really perfecting this for our clients. So we wanted to go through the seven sources today, talk about them, uh, not great detail, but uh, more in depth than normal um, so you guys can have a basic understanding of what we think is the seven sources of residual income. Yeah, and I think we're looking at these very high level. And so, um, you know, we're not going to take a deep dive. We, we want our interviews uh, on the podcast of people to highlight how different people are leveraging the seven sources. And so I think you'll see as the podcast progresses um, how these kind of play out in, in different people's lives. For sure. And so this is, as we're talking about them, anybody can start out in any different number. So it's not like you have to start out with real estate or uh, a policy that we talk about, but you can go into number four, like a business, business, uh, starting your own business and maybe investments. Maybe somebody got into the seven sources of residual income by, by buying investments. And so there's not one that we normally just lead with uh, we fill out our clients, and depending on what their risk tolerance is, that's what we'll jump into. And so we really do feel like doing this, one, gives you control of your money more, and two, uh, it de-risks you uh, when you're having multiple streams of cash flow. And that's what we've seen as we've studied millionaires. Um, so let's just jump right into it. And one, what do you, how would you define residual income, Brian? I would define residual income as some sort of upfront capital that's being invested or spent um, and then a subsequent revenue or cash flow stream that comes off of that investment into perpetuity. And so I think one of the easiest examples of that would just be kind of like a down payment on a rental property. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, you're putting your money in once and obviously we know, you know owning a property, you're going to have expenses and that type of thing. But um, for the most part, rents coming off of that property uh, into perpetuity. Yes. And the key here is residual income is based on your capital working for you, not necessarily your time. And so that's what we really want to focus on when we're talking about residual income. Um, so let's talk about the first one that we like to talk about in the seven sources of residual income, and that is banking mm -hmm. or an insurance policy or a proprietary, I would say, kind of strategy that we like to implement for our clients. And that's one of, you're going to be banking for the rest of your life. And as we know, interest rates at the bank are comical. Little small. Little small. And then the, my favorite part is when they send you uh, the tax bill at the end of the year for the seven cents that they actually did pay you interest. Um, so that's where we like to start is, uh, is, is a banking strategy, depending on if we use the regular banks or a 
life insurance policy. But let's let's kind of dive in a little bit deeper with that strategy quickly, um, just for the listeners. Sure. So the important thing is is that banking, if you think about it, is really just the movement of money through your economic engine. And if you're going to pursue these channels of uh, residual income, that means you're going to put your money to work now as opposed to maybe sticking it in like a 401k and accessing it later. And so the need for banking and thus your need for cash flow management is going to increase. And so to have a strategy for that is, is of critical importance. Um, and that with our strategy, and when you look back historically, you know, really before all these interest rates got pushed to zero, uh, you know, the average interest rate in the United States at the banks was five to 6% on money market balances. I remember working at my mom's brokerage firm back in the late nineties and, and the money market on my brokerage account was paying five and a half percent. Well, we just don't have that anymore. And like Philip said, even if you were to get that again, uh, you're taxed on it. And if you need to use that money and pull it out to invest in something, you're going to stop earning interest on that cash. And so our strategy mitigates all those things. We have, you know, guaranteed interest rate. We, we have a non-taxable or tax deferred environment. And the money still compounds interest, even if you access it via a loan. So it's a really powerful first step uh, for our entrepreneurs and business owners to uh, start building residual income because it doesn't require them, you know, to hire anybody or to buy anything or to understand really anything at all. It's really just the movement of money through a new channel. Yeah. And I think the key thing that you said there is we want to take that money out and use it for whatever our clients are passionate about to get another I guess, uh, stream, stream of, yeah, thank you, of residual income. And so that's the key thing about this whole thing is we don't want to set your money into an insurance policy and keep it there. We want to use that money. We also want to keep compounding on that money inside of an atmosphere or economic engine that will produce residual income for the long term. Um, and we feel like as, as a life insurance policy structured correctly for our clients, it's a powerful tool to just get your get the seven sources or one of the seven sources of, of residual income off the ground. And because we want to take that out and start using it for other multiple sources, it's a quick way. Now, it's not a get-rich-quick scheme at all. This is a process, a system over time that produces cash flow. And when done correctly, it can be a really nice complement to whatever people want. Because at the end of the day, it's not captive inside that policy. It's doing whatever you want at the time. And and what our clients like about it is sometimes they just don't have the opportunity that's presented themselves. So they're sitting in the policy, but it's earning something and it's doing multiple things for them. And so they get really excited. I shouldn't say get excited, but they're okay about leaving it there instead of having that, that money burn a hole in their pocket in the bank and they're kind of itching to do something with mm-hmm. it. So. Great point. That is the first, I'd say. Yeah, first source of residual income. Second source is real estate. Oh, real estate. Oh, baby. So we typically, you know, we like real estate as the second stream because typically the cash flows can be more powerful and the tax environment and uh, the capital appreciation of owning the property uh, appears to be for most of our clients that are doing it and um, and the success that they've had and what we've witnessed to be better and more consistent than the stock market. And I'm talking about generating income off of the stock market, not necessarily like buying the S&P going for growth. I'm saying if you want to generate income passively, 
real estate has been um, more powerful. And the, the two main reasons for that, uh, in my opinion, are one, you can use leverage. So you can use you know the bank's money. So it requires less money down. And the leverage is greater than what you could do in the stock market. You know, Typically, a brokerage firm in the stock market would only let you leverage about 50%. You know, a bank will let you go up to 80 or 90%. And um, so just the real estate factor allows more leverage. And from a tax perspective, it, it's more efficient income for the risk that you're taking. So um, within real estate, Philip, share with our readers, there's just lots of different segments of real estate, lots of different segments. Our clients are investing in real estate. Shed some light on those different uh, subsectors of real estate. Yeah. So the first thing I would say as your point is, is just this is usually a better stream of cash flow than getting it in the market. We had a client come to us and say, I'm about $60,000. What should I do with that money? And after doing the math, it was a no brainer to go drop that on a, mm-hmm. an actual single family home uh, real estate portfolio or start that because the income that was producing off of that was way higher than what we could get him in the stock market. And so it was a, it was a quick, you know, kind of I guess, answer for him, showing him the calculations. At the end of the day, he was ecstatic thinking that we would actually think of him instead of just going straight out, just, yeah, give us your money, we'll put it in the market. So back to your question about the multiple forms, there are so many out there. Um, and this is where I kind of get excited about. There's obviously the single family homes, there's the condos, um, there's apartment complexes, you can kind of scale that up. Uh, you can do mobile home parks, you can buy those, you can buy billboards, you can buy storage units. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many ways and facets that you can make cash flow out of your money by leveraging the bank in a smart way, um, but also using your smarts and intelligence to develop a deal. Um, there's just so many ways that uh, that residual income can come. So it's not something that you want to close your mind off and just think, I have to have a rental property. That's not necessarily the case. Um, but a lot of times, if you want to go to the next one, that real, real estate will start the third form and that's a business, or I'm sorry, the fourth form, which is a business, but we can mm-hmm. go back to investments. Um, but yeah, so there's a lot of forms that, that real estate can take. It's not just, um, uh, owning a rental property. Yeah. I think the last thing I'd say on real estate too, is you, you kind of talked about smart leverage and with interest rates being incredibly low historically below 6% and to be able to purchase, um, you know, real estate in that uh, interest rate environment is also beneficial. And then when you look at just coming out of the 08, 09 crisis, a lot of the big home builders were, were really hurt. So there's just not as many homes being built. Uh, interest rates are low. And so it's a very conducive environment. Um, and then when you look at the, the kids coming out of college, the millennials that have 40, 50, $60,000 of student loan debt, they're really not in a position, you know, for the most part on average to buy their first house. So uh, we do think rental properties is a nice piece to an overall puzzle. And uh, the the interest rate and the environment has been uh, conducive to that over the last eight years. So yeah, and not only that, like you got to think about this scaling it in a different way than just having renters in your property, like with Airbnb, mm-hmm. they have so many different ways that like, you don't have to necessarily have this Oh, we have a squatter that hasn't paid us for the last four months. Like there's different ways to think about that. And so depending on where you're at, um, they can be really creative. So sure. Don't, don't take that out. Don't, that's a really powerful form of residual income. All right, let's go to investments. 
and residual income on investments. What does that mean? Because all people think about is their 401k. <laughs> right. So this is, uh, we're not talking about your 401k. This would be additional savings. You've got your six month emergency fund or whatever, that type of money. And you want to do something. You want to see your money go to work, but you're saying, I don't want to plunge toilets. It's funny. We always get that as like the number one yes. rebuttal to owning a rental property. I don't want to plunge toilets at two in the morning. Um, Which we get. We get that. Totally get that. I don't either. <laughs> so um, <laughs> yeah. So investment, this would be like, hey, I got, I got an extra 50 grand. I want to put it into the market, into something that's bearing interest just because the bank doesn't pay you interest anymore. Um, and so, yeah, we can structure an investment portfolio to generate current income. Uh, so that would have like an individual or a joint registration for you and your wife, uh, different than like an IRA or Roth IRA. And you want that money to generate monthly income and you want to take that income and, you know, go on a trip or invest in something else or uh, pay for AAU basketball program that costs $500 <laughs> a month, whatever it is. Uh, we, we help people with that. And, um, you know, the average, I'd say, rate of return you could expect from an income perspective, obviously that can go up and down. Uh, commensurate with how volatile the portfolio is. But I mean, you can generate four to 6% uh, in the stock market with a somewhat diversified portfolio. I said just because in 08, 09, everything went down, but you can spread that across energy and financials and technology and um, several different things, uh, different sectors to generate that type of yield. We're less bullish on bonds, obviously, as interest rates go up, bond prices can go down. And so bonds and especially like bond mutual funds aren't necessarily the best place to generate income in a rising rate environment doesn't mean they're guaranteed loser either, but uh, just something you have to be mindful of. So, but again, um, we don't, we wouldn't typically leverage, you know, we wouldn't leverage a brokerage account for income. Like you can, you know, let's take an example of that 50,000, you could buy a $200,000 property that you're earning rent on based on kind of the $200,000 number. Whereas if you put 50,000 in the market to generate income, you're really only generating on the 50,000. So that's really why real estate is more powerful from an income potential than the brokerage account. But some people don't want to deal with it. And it's, it is a good alternative to generate, um, you know, residual income. And if you hire someone else to manage it, it can be passive residual income. So. Yeah, we have a lot of our clients that will jump into this uh, stream of residual income and they, they like it because they get this feeling and they start understanding how their money is starting to work for them instead of working their whole life. And then at this magical age of 67 or whenever the retirement age is, then they jump off and then they now have been working their whole life and now they need their money to work for them. And that's a big transition for a lot of people. And so doing this and starting this, we call it an engine account that starts paying you monthly earlier. It gets you starting to understand that your money does kick off income for you. Um, and this can be other things. And, and if you're a little bit older, it could be a pension. It can be annuities. Yeah. It can be. So as know. we branch into the retirement space, obviously, and then you're 59 and a half and you can access these monies that you've saved for most of your life, then uh, we will start generating income off those other financial instruments, you know, social security pension, as you mentioned. So, and that's obviously part of most uh, financial advisors, you know, due diligence and planning efforts. So we've kind of ignored those for the sake of this uh, argument or um, discussion on residual income because we want to, we want people focused on here and now and a lot of people aren't retired yet. So mm -hmm. totally. So let's go to the fourth residual income 
and that's business. And business can be obviously intertwined with all of these um, or with none of them. What we've found is that businesses are actually, it's powerful to be more efficient on taxes and to help you actually control some more of your income uh, in a way that you feel is, 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 is worth it for you. Um, so let's talk more about business. Yeah. And so like Philip said, we could generate a business around a lot of different things. And so when we talk about business, I would say, you know, and again, we have a lot of people that really like Robert Kiyosaki. So when you look at the uh, cash flow quadrant uh, and how you go from employed to self-employed to business owner to investor, I think what we're talking about here in the, in the business uh, category for residual income is the self-employed and business owner. And so I think a lot of people start out in the self-employed space, you know, the local dentist, chiropractor, financial advisor, that type of thing. And then, you know, potentially, depending on each individual's vision, you can migrate to more of a business owner where, you know, you're able to step out from that business and, um, you know, have employees and have it run while you're not there. So for us, this is the self-employed business owner space. I would say more of your traditional business, although that's shifting every day now with you know, we have clients that are selling stuff on Amazon from other countries. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's just lots of different ways to make money. And I think that's one of the neatest parts that I'm most excited about. I know you are too, about the podcast is just highlighting different types of business owners and how they're able to start a business and then start another business that's very complementary to their main business. Mm -hmm. And we're going to talk about that you know, a lot in detail. And so, um, yeah, but from what we've seen, owning a business has typically helped people generate wealth and it allows people to pivot in owning different assets or streams of income. You know, like for example, if you own the building that your business operates in, your one business can pay, you know, the building business rent and that has a different tax treatment than you taking income out of your business. So there's lots of different ways to thus pivot uh, in building wealth out of your business. Um, and we'll continue to talk about those things. For sure. And even health insurance, there's, there's quirky things that you can do with health insurance that one would never even think of when you own a business. And so if you have questions on that, I'm sure you probably do reach out to us and we can, we can talk through your specific case and your specific, um, I guess, just where you're going through, what your strategy is, and maybe we can walk through some ways that you can save on health insurance because that's a huge hot button right now. Okay. Subscription and affiliate revenue. Yes. This is, uh, Philip and I read a book. Uh, I'm going to highlight a book, which I don't want to do on every point, but I think probably arguably one of the best business books I've ever read. It's called the automatic customer. Uh, and I don't remember the author's name, but anyways, you'll find it if you, you know, do that on Amazon, but he kind of walks through the power of having a subscription model business or adding a subscription model business uh, to your existing, you know, brick and mortar business or franchise, whatever you own. And so Philip and I've personally added a subscription model to our business to try to just continue to round out our service offering to people to make it clear that, you know, we want you to ask questions. We want to help you with everything um, that you don't understand or that you want to know more about and that you have access to us 20, you know, 24 seven throughout the year uh, as our clients. And so, this, I think too, we're seeing this now when you look at Netflix, Costco, Sam's Club, Amazon Prime, um, all these subscription box services. The subscription model is getting very, very popular, um, you know, for lots of different types of businesses. And so we're seeing 
uh, lots of our business owner clients uh, adopting the subscription model or an affiliate model. An affiliate model is really where you have a following, uh, whether you've cultivated that on YouTube or you know more of a traditional business, and you're highlighting or promoting uh, different things that you like or that you've benefited from, and those people go on to purchase from that recommendation or referral, and you're you're given like an affiliate commission um, from the place you're referring people to. So that's kind of the subscription model and affiliate. And I cannot wait to highlight more business owners that are leveraging that because mm-hmm. I think a lot of people that are in a traditional job and, and they want to be maybe on a different side. I think this is a really small stepping stone that a lot of people could take to start building residual income and building that belief in their passion and stepping out in that, in, in kind of the term of like a business, but getting that income uh, flowing while they're still at their day job. So, yeah, it's a great point. And it just gives continuity. It gives just streamlined cash flow, understanding, you know, your expenses and your, all your revenue. It just helps smooth those transitions out. So I think that's a great point that you made, Brian. It's a great way to step off into this employed mindset to now I'm working for myself. So it's a, really great compliment and it can go mm-hmm. throughout all different kinds of businesses, even ones that you, you wouldn't think of. Mm-hmm. And that's, that book does a great job of talking about. So, so that's one through five. What's uh, can you tell the listeners what number six is? Yeah. Royalties, royalties. And this one can Sounds be so regal, doesn't it? It does <laughs> sound good. doesn't it? Uh, this is more like writing a book, uh, getting this, I would say, Brian, you have a better understanding of, you always say this is actually the one that really is the passive residual. You don't really have to work that hard for it. You do something once and it just pays you forever. So, Yeah, I, I think that's true. Um, I think with any form of residual income, the misnomer is that it's like you do it once and you just forget about it and money yes. just comes in and you're on a beach somewhere. I, we don't really feel that's realistic with any of these. Um, this one might be the, the exception to the rule. And, uh, you know, if you were to design something like a product and let's say uh, 3M buys that from you or whoever, then you sell the rights to that. They're going to develop it. They're going to market it and they're going to sell it. And they're just going to send you a royalty um, commission check in the mail. Well, they, that's what we'd consider like mailbox money. Or if, um, you know, you're a famous musician and you're writing music and people are listening to that 30 years from now, that's generating a royalty Uh, check depending on how you set up the original contract when you cut the album and so but when you look at that you know I look at like uh, a Michael Jackson or a Prince you know uh, Elvis these people that are still getting paid they had a tremendous amount of effort that went into becoming (laughs) an artist of that caliber so it's not like they weren't pouring their entire life into their craft in order to get to that point Mm -hmm. so again it's not free um, but if you sold the rights to something that you did uh, it could be, you know, truly passive where you did it once and you're not doing it anymore and you're still getting paid on it. So, but yeah, royalties, I think would include uh, eBooks. You're seeing a lot of people write books mm-hmm. on Amazon Kindle. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people are producing music for podcasts. Like we paid somebody a royalty for our music intro on our podcast. Like we didn't do that. Mm-hmm. And so there's just lots of different ways now with the internet and content to be created. Even I would say children like mm-hmm. on YouTube, like, Totally. Your son absolutely loves this YouTube channel and he is a millionaire just because he has so many followers. Like it's crazy. 
my my child is not a millionaire, but <laughs> he's following a millionaire. Yes, sorry, sorry. No, all right. So the seventh one, this is the final one, and this is like the most controversial because it the, has like Brian and I the most polarizing. <laughs> yes, Brian is all about it, and Br- I would say that I shouldn't say he's all about it, but I am. I respect very, it. He respects it. I would. I say I do respect it. I just don't want any part of it. So, sure. and it is network marketing. So tell me why you love it so much. <laughs> I want to go second. (laughs) All right. So I think network marketing, although people have made a lot of money, it seems a little bit sleazy to me that you have to go out and try to uh, implore family and friends to start their own business to then sell something that you would get residual off of. It just feels crunchy and yucky to me. Um, I understand that people have done it and there's probably really good products out there. But just for me and my personality, as soon as I hear it's a network marketing thing, I completely discredit it. And that's, my, that's probably a fault of mine. Um, but yeah, so, but there is something to be said about having somebody else do something for you that gives you passive income. I get that. Um, I've just made a personal, I guess, stand on network marketing when I was in college saying that I would never do that. Um, and not saying there's not good products out there. I just have trouble doing it. So that would be my, my stance. I, I value and respect Brian's approach uh, because there are some great people that are in that industry. And there's, like I said, great products. Just I can never get over that personal mental block <laughs> of like, oh, okay, I got to start a business now. So Definitely. I, I do like network marketing and I'm glad that you're open to being on this list because I do think it's different from owning a business and I do think it's different from the subscription model or affiliate model. So I think it's warranted to be on the list. And I can't wait to have, you know, some people in network marketing that are true professionals um, on the podcast because I think it's going to be fun. Totally agree. But I do, I do respect the industry for several reasons. I'll, I'll make it brief though. One is the startup cost. So, you know, when we look at like a traditional business uh, or even real estate for that matter or putting money in the market... Uh, a lot of people in America aren't in a position to start with a lot of money. And so to be able to get into a business like network marketing for most companies uh, that I've researched or looked at, uh, it's it's less than $1,000 to get started. Uh, there's proven products. There's proven systems. Um, you don't have to mess with payroll or setting up websites or legal entities. So a lot of it's just turnkey and you can step in and you can be passionate about something and... Uh, and you can go out and earn a living doing that. I think the other thing too, because we've all had it done wrong to us, right? I think the other thing I'd say with that is too, is it forces you, if you're going to be good at it and you're going to stay in it, it forces you to personally develop at a much faster rate because you're getting told no on a daily basis. And a lot of people go through life never putting themselves out there and they don't hear no a lot and they're just really not in a position mentally or emotionally to to handle that. And that's not a bad thing or a good thing, but I just think network marketing forces you to really grow as an individual. And, um, because it's low cost, anybody can get in. And I think it's kind of that, like, I don't know, cheesily the American dream thing. Like it's an even playing field. Everybody has the same shot. Um, and I think they do have quality products and that different type of thing. And so, and I think too, the last thing I'd say is as you look at, the commoditization of products with Sam's Club, Costco, Amazon, and Walmart, it is becoming, I think, a more popular 
tool for companies to bring products to market because otherwise, if you don't get in on one of those four platforms, you're not selling anything. Mm -hmm. uh, so it is a way to build culture and belief and community. And um, I'm excited to, to dig into it more with our guests. And I'm excited to have somebody on there in the podcast as well because I have a lot of questions for them. <laughs> not really. No, I just, I respect that there, it's an uphill battle every day. And I do respect that you have to break through that barrier uh, every day and get, get heard no often. And so I do respect that. So those are great points. Okay, so when do you start doing this and it's right now? When can you start residual income and it's right now, depending on who you are, um, your risk tolerance. Sometimes it just takes somebody, you sitting in front of somebody and they're encouraging and, and believing in you to do these things. But what I'll tell you is mm. it usually doesn't happen with just one. It happens with one and then you get the other and then you start a business around the whole thing. It seems like it starts dominoing to this point where you feel like you have more control of your cash flow and you know how much you need to cover your monthly expenses. And that is when you get out of the rat race, as Robert Kiyosaki says. And so it's, it's more contagious than, than you'd ever think. And I mean, you can develop a family business around it. Like there's camaraderie that uh, it, it feels good to be uncommon totally. a little bit. And so to be able to work with people every day, sitting in front of them, depending on how old they are, starting to encourage them and talk about their passions, it is, I mean, this, this career that Brian and I have, it's amazing because we get to encourage people every day to do it. For sure. I think the other thing I'd say on that point is um, when you look at like the retirement money and social security, a lot of the stuff that people are putting their money into or a lot of types of accounts, they're all, there's like loopholes or restrictions on them uh, in regards to when you can access that money. You know, mm -hmm. most specifically with IRAs at 59 and a half, uh, social security, you know, is really mid sixties if you want the full amount. And so there's a lot of restrictions on that money. And so the reason that we're focused on residual income and right now is because a lot of people want more income. They want it right now. And they've already got money that's tied up. They don't want more money tied up, but they don't know what to do with their money uh, that's just sitting in the bank. And so, like you said, once we see our clients go down this path, and each path is different with seven sources and how they start and leverage those different things, but they do, they catch that bug and that control and that immediate cash flow and having to make decisions. And it's just, it's infectious and it's, it's just so much fun to be a part of. And I can't wait to just for you, the listeners, to get to hear more and more of these stories uh, of what the people are doing to just generate money right now, because some of them we'd never even would have thought. <laughs> we hear some <laughs> some funny and random stuff, but uh, yeah, we're excited. So, uh, last thing I want to say is just how do people fall into this residual income kind of mindset? And it's there's many paths to that as well. And so we just talked to somebody and they said, you know, it was kind of dumb luck. You know, I just couldn't sell my house. <laughs> and so I talked to a friend and he said, well, why don't you do as a kind of executive rental suite? Mm -hmm. And he's like, all right, I guess I'll do that. And everything he did was getting him closer and closer to this residual mindset and getting this seven sources of residual income. He just never knew it. He just kind of fell into it. So right. there's that way there's working for somebody else. That's more of a business owner that, has completely dedicated their life to this kind of seven sources. There's that way. Mm -hmm. You have parents and grandparents. Uh, your grandpa, your grandfather was a, mm -hmm. a mentor in that regard to you, I know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you, you think about it, and we see this a lot, is our, our kind of parents' generations, the people that are going to retire right now, they've had this employee mindset with a 401k and maybe a pension, 
but our grandparents uh, skip a generation they had a more entrepreneurial mindset of a mm-hmm. business owner and my grandfather as, as Brian mentioned the mentor to me owned a mobile home park and I can only imagine when he went home and told his his wife my grandmother that they were going to own a mobile home park the thoughts that were going through mm-hmm. her head but to see my grandfather being a tray uh, a trendsetter in that way and now how it's continuing to give our family benefits and blessings it's a powerful tool. And, and my father was such a hardworking man that worked at Mid-American Energy for 40 plus, 45 plus years. And just seeing the road he went down and I respect him. I mean, he's one of my greatest mentors, closest friend, best friend. Uh, I just have a different mindset. I just don't want to go down that path. And the way that he has, he has crafted his life has been so powerful for us and my family. I resort back to a little bit more of my grandfather's entrepreneurial ways of getting mm-hmm. multiple reasons and, and, and streams of cash flow. And I would say now, and maybe we'll have my dad on, but he would say that he probably wished he would have kind of gone that route as well. So For sure. there's a lot of ways. Mentorship, uh, we've talked about that. Maybe a mentor of yours has that um, mindset of, hey, we need to get you some multiple streams of income. Yeah. And I think everybody should have a, a mentor. And I think obviously we see, you know, we run into a lot of people and meet with a lot of people and they always say like, well, I've read this book or this book and, you know, Robert Kiyosaki's name comes up a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a lot of people really resonate with what he's saying, but then there's that that void or that gap of like actually implementing those philosophies totally, and like purchasing that first rental property or, or whatever. And And so that's just where, you know, we like to help people and meet people at. And I think conversely, we meet a lot of people that, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to bring up your uncle, Dave Ramsey, hey. read a lot of Dave Ramsey's stuff. Totally not my uncle, by the way, <laughs> totally not, but we always say it, which is kind of fun. Uh, Philip would have red hair if, if you were, but um, anyways, a lot of people read Dave Ramsey and it's interesting that a lot of the advice Dave Ramsey gets uh, or gives, it doesn't seem like that's actually how he made money. You know, he's owned a very successful and profitable business, um, you know, and has multiple streams and channels of income. Uh, but it seems like a lot of his advice is centered around setting it and forget it. Uh, so it's, we kind of play on that a lot and have fun with that. We really respect Dave and, you know, his budgeting and getting mm-hmm. to understand where your money's going. All For that sure. is totally sound advice. But anyway, so yeah, books and just learning from other people, but then actually taking that step of action and implementation and like, I'm going to do this and figure it out and then taking the plunge. <laughs> For sure. So, yeah, I'd say the only thing I would, the last way I was just thinking is like CPAs and accountants sometimes will push people into this residual income of starting a business because they know that there's tax benefits for doing so. And so there's many ways to do this. What I would say now is if you are interested and you're leaning in, what the next steps would be, um, would be give us a call, reach out to us. We would love to talk to you. Where are you at? Where are you going? And is this some place that you want to start kind of heading down? This is kind of a treacherous, I shouldn't say treacherous, but it's a daunting journey. And to, to have somebody to be able to bounce ideas off of is priceless. And you can talk to anybody that's actually gone down this path. Mm-hmm. But the mind shift that needs to happen uh, in people, one, it's amazing. But two, sometimes it's kind of hard to get there. Yeah. So if you want to schedule a 15-minute consultation with us, uh, you can find us on at uh, uncommonwealth.com. Uh, there's a link to our schedule and it's just a 15 minute free consultation call. 
And we also have a PDF ebook that we have available to you as well that actually dives a little bit deeper into the seven sources of residual income that complements this podcast. And it has a workbook that we've created to establish a baseline of the resources and uh, talents and assets that you have access to. And that's just not money. That's also skills, passions, uh, people, and uh, different things that you've encountered in your life that you could leverage. And so um, we have a lot on this and we're going to continue to talk to talk about it. And our next podcast, we will be introducing our first interview. Yeah, which I'm super excited about. So guys, this is the Uncommon Life Project, and that's exactly where we're at. We are going to be interviewing people. That's where Brian and I came from, and that's where our practice mm-hmm. is headed. And so, guys, we are excited you are on this journey with us. Thank you for listening. Like this. Uh, give us a good rating so we can get to more people, and we can, we can reach more people because this, this Uncommon Life is worth it. Uh, so thanks for listening, and uh, we'll uh, be back with another podcast. Thanks, everybody. That's all for this episode of the Uncommon Life Project, brought to you by Uncommon Wealth Partners. Be sure to visit UncommonWealth.com to learn more about our services. Don't miss an episode as we introduce you to inspiring people who are actively pursuing an uncommon life.